Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. Elm City Church is a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together. No matter where you're at, these messages are meant to equip and strengthen you for the journey. You can find out more by visiting elmcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. I'd like to just start us off with a word of prayer. Dear God, we come to you this morning thankful. Thankful for who you are. Thankful that we can still worship. And thankful for your son, Jesus. Even though the world seems like it's upside down at the moment and things, things just seem a little bit out of control, we know that you are an ever-present help in time of trouble. We know that you are a well-proven help to us, and we thank you for that. I would just like to just say a prayer of protection for those in our community that are on the front lines. Please protect our healthcare workers, our police, and our firemen, our grocery store workers, our pharmacists, those who are delivering our mail and our packages, and our farmers. And also give our, leader, our leaders the wisdom that they need to make accurate decisions. And as we go into your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak through me, that you make my words clear, that you are glorified uh, through this platform. Thank you that we can still meet, even if it's just like this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, again, what a week it's been this week. Uh, but I think it, I want to start off with some good news because I have seen uh, just the downtown community in Keene coming together in some really unique ways. This, uh, this past week, there was an article that I put up both on my personal Facebook page and our church's Facebook page that was featured in Inc. Magazine about how uh, our different downtown businesses have been collaborating to support each other. And so if you haven't got a chance, go, go and read it. It's, it was really kind of encouraging. And kind of in that spirit, I had a couple of ideas for how we could support as a community some of our local businesses. And one would be, what a lot of people are doing is get takeout from a local restaurant. Maybe life groups, one thing you can collaborate on this week is that you all order takeout on your life group night from the same place. Obviously, you eat it at your your house, but that's one way we could support. And another idea I saw going around was this. Remember all of the businesses that have given you a gift certificate or some sort of assistance when you kind of went and knocked on their door and say, hey, we're doing this fundraiser. Any way you could help us out? We have so many businesses that have been generous to a lot of you like that over the past few years. Um, So just return that generosity. Just buy buy a gift certificate from them as a way of saying thank you. And uh, let's be a church that is for Keen, for this community in a real tangible way like that. But if you have your Bibles, why don't you kind of get them ready and open to the book of Colossians if you are logged into our elmcity.online.church link, there's actually a little tab built right into it that you can click on that has the, the YouVersion Bible app. Um, so if you're watching on Facebook Watch, sorry, you're going to have to you know, find a paper Bible or a phone. It's, I, know, I know things are difficult, but try to, but try to be able to do that. <laughs> but uh, I know I am so glad that we're going through the book of Colossians right now. Even before uh, you know, this, this whole COVID thing kind of changed how we had to meet, I felt like Colossians was going to be the perfect book for us for where we are at as a church. Because there's so much of what Paul says in this letter that is timely for us as a community. So in our, in our first week, we looked at Colossians 1 and 2. And in this introduction, 
Paul highlights how this church has a dual citizenship, both as citizens of the kingdom of God, but also citizens of Colossae, which was a town in the, in the Roman Empire. And Paul highlighted how their responsibility is to be good citizens in both states. And so citizens, Christians who are citizens of the kingdom of God, we should make the best citizens of our community. And I, and I fully believe that. Last week, we looked at Paul's introduction, and he talked about just the hope of the gospel. And the big takeaway from last week was, because of our faith in a very real event that happened in the past, the resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. It gives us a sure hope for our future. And because of that, we can live as people of peace and love in the present, no matter what's going on. And this week, it's really no different. Uh, how applicable Paul's words are going to be. I know uh, I, like to, when I, I like to walk and pray at the same time. I've been having, maybe you can relate, having a hard time focusing lately. So a lot of my prayer is being done while I've been walking. And as I've been praying for this community, for the church in particular, I've also been kind of struck with this whole idea of what, what should I be praying for? And over the past couple of weeks, I've found my prayers for this church being shaped by the book of Colossians, especially by Colossians 1, 9 through 14, what we're going to look at this morning. Because in it, we see the content of Paul's prayer for the church. And so this morning's message is simply titled, A Prayer for Christians in Time of Trouble. And and what is telling is what Paul focuses on and what he doesn't focus on in this prayer. He He does not pray for these Christians to have a change in circumstance. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for a change in circumstance. I am continually praying for a change in circumstance. But Paul, in a lot of his letters, doesn't pray for Christians who are facing hardship to have a change in their circumstance. What he does, though, is he prays for their response. So what we're going to see here this morning is that Paul prays two specific things for this church. The first is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And secondly, he prays that that knowledge would then lead them to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. And I've seen my prayers really being shaped over the past couple of weeks, praying that same thing for us as a church, those two things. That through this whole thing, that we will grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of God's will for us. And that we will live lives that are worthy of the gospel. So let me read to you Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So let's look at verse 9 and see Paul's prayer that this church is filled with wisdom. This is, this, is, this is again how he starts. And so, from the day we heard, talking about, heard about their faith, 
their, their hope and their love in the gospel. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So, so what, what does that mean? What does it mean to be filled with the knowledge of, of God's will? So when Paul is praying for this, what he's really hoping is that these people would be people who are defined by or characterized by following God's will for their life. You know, often the New Testament writers, when they talk about the will of God for our life, it's in pretty big picture terms. Uh, and when you look at the scriptures, it's really clear what God's will for us is in big picture. Um, but a lot of us, we often approach God's will like the magic eight ball when we ask really specific things like, God, should I take this new job or not? Or God, uh, should I marry this person? Or, you know, God, should I go to this college? Oh, and a lot of little issues like that where we end up looking for really specific things. Um, but here's what Paul says in this passage that we should focus on. And it's not an exhaustive list, but here are the four things that are characteristics of God's will uh, being played out in our life. One, that our lives will bear fruit in every good work. Two, that we will increase in the knowledge of God's will, in the knowledge of God. Three, that we will have endurance and patience in our situations with joy. And the fourth thing is that we will continue to give thanks to God for what he has done for us in the gospel. You know, no, no big deal there, huh? You know, I just... I know we can't kind of talk back and forth, but um, how many of you, you can raise your hands from your living room, would characterize your week as just being full of endurance and patience with joy? Oh, it hasn't? You bad Christian. <laughs> yeah, I know all these parents who are now trying to work from home, parent, teach at the same time. Some of you are taking care of, of loved ones. Uh, if if what, if what Paul was trying to tell us here is that we need to do this in our own strength to prove that we're good followers of Jesus, this would be a very discouraging and difficult passage because all of those four things on our own, we can't do. But here is the really good news. We can through Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do all of, all of these things. Um, the word... And here's why that we can do this. So this word filled, being filled with the wisdom and the knowledge of God, this is given in the passive voice. And what that means is it's something that happens to us, not something that we do. So we are filled with the knowledge of God's will by the Holy Spirit so that we can do God's will in each and every circumstance we find ourselves in. Um, Paul kind of puts four key words in this passage that give us a clue that one of the ways we can understand this passage is by going back to a different passage in the, in the Old Testament. And these four words are filled, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Uh, and this is an echo of Exodus 31. So the, the first person in the entire Bible that was said to be filled with the Holy Spirit was a man named Bethel. And what is interesting is he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't someone who was giving a sermon. He was a craftsman. And his job was to work on the temple. Let me read to you uh, Exodus 31, a few verses from the beginning. This is what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bethel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, 
with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. I don't know why whenever I kept reading that, I was like, I wonder what other kind of skills he was given. I filled him with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze. And I've also given him, and I've also given to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. So why is this important? Why does this guy, a lot of you have probably never heard of, working on the temple 3,000 years ago-ish, why is this important for us? Because it shows that through the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit, that God not only fills us with the knowledge and wisdom and understanding of God's will, but he also provides us with the power to do it. So everything God calls us to do, he will empower us to do. So when you look at this list that we're going to go to of the four things that you know, should characterize what it looks like for us to practice the way of Jesus together, you might think this seems difficult, this seems impossible. In our own strength, yes. But this is something God wants to empower us to do. And because the Holy Spirit is going to be active and moving in it with us, it doesn't lead to, it should not lead to any type of passivity where you think, hey, you know what? Well, God's going to do what God's going to do. I'm just going to sit back and watch. That, that's not what happened in the life of Paul. Paul's attitude was, was much more like this. Hey, you know what? If God's Holy Spirit is working in and through me, that means I can work even harder because I know I'm going to be able to accomplish a whole lot more because it's God who's doing the work anyway. He says that like this in verse 129. And he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So we see here in this, in this passage, this prayer, the first thing that Paul prays for the church, that they are filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But then he goes on to say, and, and here's the purpose for that, and it's this. In verse 10, Paul says, I want you to be filled with this so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So the word walk is just a common figure of speech for how you conduct your life. So to say that, he, that we should walk in a manner worthy of the Lord means that our character should line up with the character of Jesus or that our actions should be in line with what Jesus has done for us. Uh, an example is in Colossians 3.13, Paul says this. He says, if anybody has a complaint against one another, forgive each other. Why? He goes, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That's what he's getting at when he says to live a life worthy of the Lord. And this is actually um, just another way of like, saying our church's mission statement, which is practicing the way of Jesus together. I know as I was kind of walking, I had a moment of, of reflection this week, just trying to even think through, okay, how do you, how do you re-engineer how you, you know, do church overnight? And what struck me was, you know what? Everything that God has called us to do, everything about our mission, everything about our values, None of that is changed by this at all. Yeah, we're going to have to get creative and it's going to look a little different, but the mission God gave us, this doesn't change it. And it was really encouraging that, yeah, we're still going to be practicing the way of Jesus together, even when together looks different. Because you know, the, 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 you know, we're called to go and make disciples. We're called to love each other. And that's, that is what we're going to continue to do. But here are, here are the four ways, we're going to look at them each, each, each briefly, that Paul says that we can, in a sense, practice the way of Jesus together. And the first is, he says that we, Christians, he's praying for this church, that they bear fruit in every good work. 
Uh, kind of as James says, faith without works is dead. And faith, which is invisible, needs to be seen through visible acts. And most often that's clearly seen, our faith in, our faith in God is seen in how we treat someone else. And I think one of the biggest fruits, one of the biggest outflows of the Christian life that I would love to characterize myself and our entire community is that of generosity. It would be, what a prayer answer that would be is when we get on the other side of this, that people look at our church and our community and say, wow, they were generous, not just towards each other, but towards this community. I mean, that's one of the things that set the early church apart. That was their generosity and their love for not just each other, but for those in, in, in the community. And, but they, the reason why they did it, though, they didn't do it just because it was the right thing to do. They did it because it was an overflow and an outflow of the gospel. Because they fully believed that God had generously given them his grace, his love, his forgiveness, they were able to be generous with all things. And so can we. So the second thing he calls us to, to, he prays for specifically in this passage for this church is that they increase in the knowledge of God. C.S. Lewis has this great line in one of his books when he talks about prayer. He says, he would pray, may it be the real I that speak and may it be the real thou that I speak to. Because increased knowledge of God always kind of leads to greater works for God. And it's sort of like a spiral. And greater works for God lead to a deeper experiential level of, of who God is, which then leads to greater works for God. Uh, knowledge of God should always lead to greater works for God. The third thing in this passage he's praying for this church is for them to have endurance with patience and joy. I remember one of my teachers in seminary kind of jokingly saying, never ask God to give you patience because you learn patience through, giving, through being given tons of opportunities to be patient. And uh, this might be one of the biggest things that God needs to fill a lot of us with. I know me, especially this week, is just endurance and patience. So these two words, they sound, they're very similar. But um, here's a way of thinking about the differences in them. So endurance is the ability to deal with difficult circumstances and patience is more the ability to deal with difficult people. And we, we need a big, uh, <laughs> a big scoop of both of those right now. You know, how many of you could use a little bit more endurance and patience in your life? This is the moment, I know you're on your couch and I can't hear you, but this is the moment where you say, can I get an amen? Go ahead, let's hear it. Amen. Amen. Not bad, that, 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 that was average. Uh, <laughs> but we need endurance to kind of get through this difficult situation. And we need patience because most of us are cooped up with difficult people. Uh, but have patience for that difficult person you're cooped up with because you are also that person's difficult, <laughs> difficult person. You are one of those two. So we need to be kind to the difficult people. And fourth, the thing we need to do as well is continually give thanks to God. This is the final trait that Paul says in this passage of a life that is worthy of the Lord. And, and here is why. Here is why he says we need to continually give thanks to God. Let me read verses 12 through 14 again, because this is the basis for it. He says, we should give thanks to the Father 
who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So I would guess a lot of you before, you know, in the past have gotten a letter in the mail with an amazing offer that went something like this. You know, open this immediately to get this time-sensitive offer. And you open it up and it's like, you've been pre-qualified for a $10,000 line of credit. And when you use this card, it's amazing. You get 1% cash back on all purchases and 5% cash back at gas stations. What a deal. Then you read, and it, and it only has a 22% interest rate. Uh, amazing. But often when you get these, these offers, they're based on, you know, the line of credit you're going to get is based on how much you can make. And so essentially, your, your available line of credit, it lines up with your earning ability. So in a way, you're just getting what you deserve, what you've proven. Uh, and that's kind of a th- getting what you deserve. It's, it's really how a lot of people view you know, how, you know, how we respond to God. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of charts going around the internet the last few weeks. And so I thought I would add to it. Uh, I've drawn my own. And by drawing my own, I mean I copied one from James Emery White. He's a pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's called the goodness scale. And it highlights how the average person kind of views themselves in comparison to, to God. And so I hope you're ready to be blown away by my artistic ability, which is rivaled only by my guitar ability. And so... Here is the goodness scale. Hope you can uh, see that. If you can't, don't worry. I will explain it. And this is a common way of seeing how God views humanity and how these people think and trying to decide who's in and who's out. So over here, you know, this is not drawn to scale. I put that there, not drawn to scale, just just for my own protection. So right here we have sinner. And that's kind of the 2% category of all the people that we're pretty sure are cooked. This might be... You know, we put Hitler, murderers, people who pronounce, who say library instead of library. Yeah, all those people, those bad people. Yeah, they, they just, they're in the sinner category. Next to the sinner category is sketchy. These are the people that were like, you know what? It might be a coin flip for them. We're, we, they are not, you know, maybe they're not, they're not Hitler, but, you know, these are, these are not good people. You know, there's probably some people that fall into that sketchy category. But then there's this whole big category that most people think they line up in, and it's called the safe zone. And usually I, I'll hear, you know, you're not, a, you're not a sinner, you're not horrible, but you're, but you're no saint. I've heard a lot of uh, say, you know, I'm not a, you know, I, I haven't like killed anybody or anything, and I try to be a pretty good person. And that's always like the, <laughs> I love how the bar is always set so low for what it is to be a good person. It usually starts with, well, I haven't like killed anybody or anything. So a lot of people, they, they would put themselves in the safe zone. Now, there's a small percentage of people right here in the star zone that would put themselves in it, and those people are super annoying to be around because they let you know that they think they're a star. You know, think of the SJWs in your life. And then there's just a few saints. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe 2% of people would fall into that category. So this chart represents how a lot of people believe God works. Uh, But here's what the the Bible says, that salvation through Jesus pretty much works the exact opposite of this. So those credit card offers you get, you know, this this chart that I showed, everybody's kind of lined up based on their merit, based on something they earned, based on their past performance. 
But God's offer of salvation through Jesus is by grace, which by definition is unmerited or undeserved. So just listen to how Paul describes why this church should be thankful. This is what has just happened to them. He says this, God has qualified you. So right off the bat, he is saying that you you had nothing to do with your own qualifications. And then he says, he has delivered you from the domain of darkness. And then he has transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Pretty much the only thing you brought to the table when it comes to your salvation is being a sinner and needing to be saved. Like that's your only contribution to this. But here is the amazing truth of the gospel that Paul lays out so wonderfully in his letter to the Colossians. You have been pre-qualified for God's amazing offer of salvation, not because of anything that you have done, because of what Jesus has done. And what's even better about this offer, it's not like you've been pre-qualified for some credit line with interest. No, he says you have been pre-qualified to, be in, to receive the inheritance of the saints, which is kind of putting back to verse five, what we looked at it last week, which is the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. But the only thing about this offer is it's only good if it's accepted on God's terms, which is admitting that you are a sinner and need to be saved. Admitting that on this, on this goodness scale, without Jesus, this whole thing is sinner. Our, we, we can't add anything to our own salvation. But the good news is we don't have to. Because Jesus, he lived that perfect life that we should have lived. And he, on the cross, he took on sin and death and the power of hell so you could be reconciled to God. Who are you placing your eternity in? What are you trusting for that? I encourage you, if you, if you find yourself being drawn to Jesus, especially in this moment, respond to him in faith. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have some pretty great things to be, to be thankful for at this time. And so here is my prayer for myself, for us as a church in times of trouble. One, that we will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And that also our lives would be worthy of the gospel and would bear fruit in that. That we would practice the way of Jesus and we would live lives that are characterized by bearing fruit in every good work which includes generosity, that we would increase in the knowledge of God, which would lead to more works for God, that we would have spirit-filled endurance and patience with joy, and that we would always be thankful for what God has done for us through Christ. So I hope you all enjoy your Sunday, and I hope this was encouraging to you. Please send us an email if you need anything, you know, including prayer, hello at Elm City Church, and... Uh, Remember this, our God is a well-proven help in time of trouble. Grace and peace, everyone.